We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Sod Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Sot Talk Radio. We're doing Connecting the Dots this week, where we connect the dots of all the madness and insanity and general craziness that goes on on the planet. Uh, This last week has been just as crazy as usual, and we'll be discussing it. Today, we've got our usual hosts, Joe Quinn and Neil Bradley, joined by Sot editor Juliana Berembuem. And I'm Harrison Cayley, joining you again. And so, yeah, let's get started. Excellent. Take it away. <laughs> well, Wait until <in> there. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, well, where to start? How about Ebola? We've got the first confirmed case in Spain just recently um, who had died, and the second case in the U.S., now, this just came out in the past day, I believe this morning. Um, one of the health care workers or doctors that was um, caring for Thomas Eric Duncan in Texas has just been diagnosed as Ebola. So it looks like they didn't manage to fully contain that one. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with that, how far that goes. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, they, they're saying that some serious mistake was made um, for that to happen. So, uh, yeah, duh. Uh, obviously, some serious mistake. Despite all of your spacesuits and uh, your crazy security measures, um, it's not quite as easy, apparently, as just donning a bunch of plastic and a respirator um, to, to keep yourself safe from Ebola. Um, I mean, there's been previous reports of um, medical workers wearing, uh, having little tears in their suits or when they're taking their suits off, taking their gloves off, uh, letting the gloves just touch their hand or touch their, some touch some part of their body. So, um, yeah, the idea that it's, because it's not, transmissible by, you know, it's not airborne in theory, um, that it's, you know, hard to contract is obviously not, not the case if you're in close proximity to someone or if you're working on someone as a, as a doctor or a nurse or whatever, um, then probably the chances are, there's a good chance that uh, yeah. you're going to do something wrong because apparently all you have to do is just touch um something that has touched the person, touched their body fluids, you know, their saliva, whatever, and it touches your skin, then you've got it maybe, you know, maybe it's like permeable, skin permeable or something like that. I mean, uh, I don't know how exactly, I haven't read up on it so much, but how it actually works. It Okay, it's not airborne, but if it touches, what, you have to like chew on a surgical glove to get it, or does it have to touch your arm and then it, what, absorbs through your skin or something? They're all for, I, I get the impression they don't really know. They're not saying they don't know exactly how it uh, it's contracted by other people. They say you have to be, come in contact with other people's 
I, I would go with don't know, yeah. given that there are some people who are out there in the field working on this saying it could be airborne. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, independent Spanish researchers who recently actually said it is. it must be airborne mm -hmm. because no matter what protection you have, the minute you're in contact with the patient, and of course you need to breathe so it's not like super tight or anything, you just mm -hmm. you can just contract it like any other disease. There's no bodily fluids involved in that. I don't know if it's true, but... Well, and with this latest case, they haven't even released the name of the of the latest victim. So we don't know at what point, uh, I don't even know if it's he or she at this point, uh, came in contact with uh, with Duncan. So, uh, and I've, we've already, I've, well, there have been a lot of stories about how this guy um, the, the went to once he came back to the U.S. And I think, did he, how many times did he visit the hospital? Was this the guy that visited the hospital two or three times or, and um, just how many people he had contact with. And if you think about um, just the procedure, this guy comes to the hospital, of course, he's going to be interacting with people just normally who aren't following the so-called, you know, CDC protocols, because if someone comes into the hospital, it's not like everyone in there is dressed in a hazmat suit and fully prepared. There are going to be people that come in contact with this person. So it'll be interesting to find out what details. I think the danger here is that if it is airborne, you know, it could be a strain of Ebola that um, has mutated or, mm -hmm. you know, is a different strain from previous ones. I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a variety perhaps of the, uh, of the plague, uh, of the Black Death. So um, the thing here is, is that if that's the case, then um, if it's airborne and people contract it, there can be obviously an incubation period and stuff, but it may be contracted if it's airborne, contracted by people whose immune systems are weaker. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once it's there, it can kind of mutate inside a, a person's body to become more, more, uh, more aggressive or, or more virulent. Uh, so it, what I'm saying is it could take a longer period of time. We're just seeing the initial... Um, stages of what could be a pandemic. People are making a mistake. Like there's this guy, John Rappaport, uh, who's a alternative news researcher, pundit, and been around for a long time. And he's very, he's come out against the whole idea of Ebola being anything to worry about. He says it's basically being hyped for ulterior motives. Um, but it's a bit dangerous for him to do that because, sure, in the past, um, they may have hyped various uh, potential pandemics like SARS and swine flu and bird flu and cat flu and, you know, gerbil flu. And, um, but that doesn't mean just because they've done that or they may have done that in the past doesn't mean that uh, a real pandemic can't come about because uh, the logical fallacy in his argument because uh, there's some people who like to call, talk about logical fallacies and different types of uh, fallacies. Uh, <laughs> they try to use these uh, as a kind of coverall to uh, to dismiss someone's argument or if, to dismiss someone who doesn't agree with them, you know. But um, the it's a logical fallacy to say that because they have staged, may have staged uh, pandemic stuff in the past for ulterior motives like spreading, you know, selling vaccines and stuff, that... Uh, 
that that lo- that, that, that they're doing it this time, or that every case will be mm-hmm. uh, that'll be what's happening in every case because uh, the the process that they go through would be exactly the same, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's like you know, it's like the Boston bombing type thing. You know, if you want to, if you want to, uh, if you want to fake something, uh, uh, then to all uh, intents and purposes, it looks like the real thing. Uh, your your response to a fake attack has to look like a response to a real attack. So it will be exactly the same or pretty much the same. So to say that because they're doing, they're looking like they're doing the same thing as they did with other pandemics right now doesn't mean this isn't real. And like I said, it may just be the beginning of a future pandemic that will take a certain period of time to to kind of uh, gain traction. And I'm not even sure they're doing exactly the same because they are trying to tone it down quite a bit. I mean, you get somebody with a, with symptoms and then immediately they make sure that, you know, it was a false alarm and stuff. I mean, if they were trying to hype it up, to hype it up, wouldn't they instigate even more fear in yeah, people well, and, exactly. and tell them, you know, don't be careful of your neighbor if you mm-hmm. went on a trip or whatever. Well, I mean, yeah, they would. And the thing is, they they've been uh, they have not been doing that they've been playing it down well very unlikely most countries are saying very unlikely here maybe a few cases but unlikely unlikely i mean there's the fear there but it's it's Uh, not what it could be if they hyped it and as we mentioned last week the reason uh it seems that uh, there's several people have have said that uh the reason that there's no vaccine already for it is because the big pharmaceutical uh, companies haven't seen it uh, spreading or don't expect it to spread uh, out of Africa and there isn't enough people in Africa or enough money in Africa to be made uh, off the back of of vaccines. Mm -hmm. So if their plan was to sell hundreds of millions of doses of vaccine, surely they would be hyping it up the wazoo as a preventative measure, everybody now would be getting it because there are people out there who are afraid of it and, you know, it's in people's minds. So there's quite probably quite a big demographic, uh, despite the fact that they haven't been hyping it, there's probably quite a lot of people who would be, who would join the queue and, and get the shot, right, if it was produced for them. The, so it seems that the, the monetary aspect isn't really there. Okay. There is one signal, though, that goes counter in the opposite direction. When Obama got in front of the UN in the middle of last month, he lists the top three threats to America. Number one was Ebola. Mm. Number two was Russia. And I've forgotten the third one. ISIS. Probably ISIS. Um, now, he placed Ebola number one. And that kind of is a mixed message because that goes in, in the opposite direction to them not hyping and well, or toning it down. Yeah, when we talk about hyping it, we're talking about hyping it in a... Uh, full spectrum dominance kind of way. That's how you hype it, where you're really at a, at a local uh, community level. You start putting all the advertising and the hyping in place to get everybody to do it. An order has come down. For Obama to say it, Obama would say, you know, Barney the Purple Dinosaur is the biggest threat to America because that's what he's there for, just to get up there and spout stuff. Most people don't actually believe him. Even most people in the US, there was a poll, not that polls are worth much, but some of them may be accurate, that, um, you know, over about 60% said that he lies either all the time or most of the time. Or sorry, all the time or some, some of the, the time. Some or of most the time. of the time and some of the time. Uh, so 60 65% of people said that about Obama. Yeah. So the fact that he stands up and says ISIS, Ebola, and Born of the Purple Dinosaur doesn't really have much 
uh, it doesn't mean very much. Well, in, you know? in a sense, he was telling the truth. Uh, you list ISIS at the end, which pretty much poses zero threat to the United States. Russia, which poses something of a valid threat if you think about the uh, the battle between worldviews and geopolitics. Not that they have they they pose like an existential threat or anything, or they're going to go to war. But Ebola really is the the most dangerous threat to America of the three with the one and now two <laughs> victims in America. So, you know, comparatively, yeah, and a yet, big threat. And yet uh, nobody, nobody's really concerned about it, right? I mean, yeah. if you just, if you just sample... More the, people will die from Ebola in the U.S. than died from terrorism. Yeah, but it, it appeals to this primal fear, you know, like everybody is afraid of a virus. You talk about Russia, yeah, Obama, shut up. You know, you talk about ISIS. Um, you've already told us the terrorism stuff, you know, but appealing to something so mm-hmm. primal, I mean, it's just PR, I think. Or Well, um, they're starting to make use of it one way or another. If, uh, at least locally, uh, in Connecticut, the governor there has issued a public health emergency authorizing, authorizing the, the isolation of any individual reasonably believed to have been exposed to Ebola. Um, now, my, my reaction to that is kind of actually, it's more like, so what? I mean, that's standard operating procedure, quarantine yeah. measures. Yeah. The, the alternative media in the U.S. is running with that to say, oh my God, they're going to bring in martial law. They're going to take away all our freedoms. And I'm saying, dude, your freedoms are long gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not there anymore. So... It, and it's too late. I mean, the, the I think the horse is already bolted. You know, yeah. like the, the mass screening at airports. It's in the country now. Yeah, they're only screening people. I think from it's kind of to be seen to be doing something. But they're thankfully they're only screening people from <clears throat> coming from affected countries in Africa. Uh, they're firing a, a temperature reader at their at their foreheads uh, and checking their temperature. That's the only extra security measure at airports for those specific people. Um, I mean, that would, wouldn't be so bad even if they did that for everybody because that's a lot. Having, a, having well, your temperature checked is better than having your your colon checked. A plane landed at Las Vegas. I think it was an internal flight and it was quote-unquote temporarily quarantined. Yeah. But it wasn't really. It was a false alarm. So no, there was, and there was, go, a, there was a... I mean, it's kind of like it's this nexus of, you know, of the terrorism, uh, terrorism propaganda and the Ebola terror propaganda. Um, there was a, a flight from L.A. to um, Dominican Republic full of uh, American holidaymakers a few days ago and some guy, a black guy, American from LA, I suppose, um, on the flight, and he made a joke uh, about Ebola. He said something about yeah, Ebola. He, he sneezed and he said, I have Ebola. Yeah, <laughs> he was kidding. Some, something like that. So he was reported on by all, all, the, all his fellow passengers, and they kind of kept the plane on the, on the tarmac for, uh, kept the plane at the airport for several hours, and four guys in full kind of hazmat suits and respirators came on and escorted him off. The thing and, is, they would never have been able to tell in that time, if he had it or not. No. Uh, how, what's the incubation period? Well, it's 21 days, but... They're you know, between 10 and 21 now. 10 to 21 They days. don't even know. Yeah. 
But it's you know it's kind of funny. But on this video of the, this guy getting taken off the plane was just funny because nobody was nobody seemed to be scared. People were just sitting there, you know, watching, videoing it, and, uh, laughing and yet they and reported him. Yeah, they reported him. Sure, sure there's always someone. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, we're gonna have to just wait and see on the Ebola thing. You know, well, um, the thing is that even if they wanted to, I mean, assuming that they wanted to uh, prevent the spread and stuff, it's very very difficult because they don't know. They're talking about 300 mutations already. And the pattern it's following is actually similar to what you read when you learn about the past, the plagues in in history, you know? I mean, it starts very, very slowly, and then it grows exponentially, like they're saying Ebola is. And you just see one person visiting another little town. You know, at the time, it would take, like, maybe 10 days to reach another town. And then you get, okay, a, a record from the parish records that says this guy died, and then three weeks later, the three people that he visited died. Now, th- those three people had visited another nine and so on. So it can take up to, whatever, six, eight, nine months for the disease to really, really spread. Well, it's been around that long. The outbreak began in January. Yeah, but, it, I mean, it could be much, much slower. It can be, it can, it's, they say it stops or it, it um, goes down by a lot in winter. You know, so if it reaches Europe, it could it could have, you a know, quiet winter, <clears throat> a quiet winter, and then it perks up again. I mean, you don't know. And is it the plague? I mean, there's many symptoms that are similar to what the plague used to be. But then again, you read the records of the plague, and there are different symptoms within those records. Some people used to get the um, um, whatever internal bleeding. Some didn't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It may be. It may be very, it may be specific, it may be ethnically specific. Yeah. It, um, Some people were immune and nobody knew how mm-hmm. or why. Um, there were records of people really, there was a story actually that I really like because it's, um, there was a the brother, a brother and a sister and the sister had contracted the plague and the brother went out and she was so thirsty. She went in the kitchen, she was almost unconscious and drank a glass of liquid that was on the counter and it happened to be uh, lard, the frying lard. And when the brother came back, she was in the mint. And it was one of those like, what the hell? You know, so fat people drink fat. <laughs> she drank a glass of lard she, without she, knowing what it was? Yeah, she thought she was dirty. She, she so was thirsty. thirsty and she didn't know what she was doing. She was almost mm-hmm. unconscious. And, and the minute the brother came back, she was like, hi, hmm. I'm better now. So uh, a glass of lard a day keeps the plague away. Keeps yeah. the plague away. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, just a little piece of data on the idea that it's being toned down. Um, I, it's worse than they're letting us think it is. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a CNN report that can't be found any longer, but it's been hosted by some other local news site in the U.S. I haven't had time to verify this, but it's allegedly from a spokesman for the European Commission who said Wednesday last week that by then there were eight confirmed cases of Ebola in countries in Europe. Uh, one in the UK, in which a person supposedly recovered. One case in France, two in Germany, three in Spain. And that's far higher than... I mean, there are about eight suspected cases, suspected cases total, but this was supposedly a confirmation of Ebola cases in Europe, but it's fake. Maybe he only meant the affirmed cases we are working on 
and not it's definitely confirmed these eight people have it so could it have been the um let's say eight or so people that were flown back to their home countries for treatment that had contracted ebola in africa doesn't specify doesn't specify okay well with ebola i think there's a bigger picture here and that has to do with viruses in general like julianne had said plagues are a part of our history and they seem to come with some regularity just looking at the virus situation this year, it's not just Ebola that we've got. Um, there's the chikungunya mosquito virus that has been going around the Dominican Republic and the Caribbean. Now, this is a—it's not a deadly virus, but there are over, there are around 740,000 people currently that have that have contracted this virus over the past. Uh, I think since December of last year. Now, this is the first local outbreak in the Western Hemisphere. This is a virus that usually um, pops up in Africa and Asia. So this is the first time that it's actually appeared in the Western Hemisphere that is from mosquitoes in the area as opposed to people contracting it in Africa and Asia and then coming into the country. It's also spread into the United States. There's 1,300 cases, uh, most um, mostly in Florida and New York, but in several cities in the United States. So almost 740,000 people with this virus that hasn't been in the Western Hemisphere before. There's also this enterovirus uh, D68 that's going around the United States. Now, there are uh, thousands of kids that are getting this respiratory illness. It's an, it's an enterovirus like polio, but it doesn't necessarily give the same symptoms as polio. It's not as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are reportedly thousands of cases in the, in the states uh, of kids going in with this with with severe respiratory illness um there's only 700 confirmed cases but of course this is much lower than it's probably actually mm-hmm. going around because these are the cases where they actually um do the tests and find out exactly what virus they have um but there have been five deaths so far as a result of this virus um today um there's just there was a boy a toddler in Michigan that just died from it and so there, it's it's like the the year of the the viruses it seems mm-hmm. and so yeah I, I I think the connection there also dengue fever has returned yeah I think uh, a plausible connection there is the large number of um, fireballs and meteorites exactly. over the past you know five six seven years the massive increase in fireballs and you know meteorites meteors. Uh, flying through atmosphere and detonating. We had one just uh, a couple of days ago, uh, a massive loud boom. Loud. Shook the house. Above the house that shook all the shutters, and it was not a sonic boom. It was an overhead meteorite uh, explosion. Now, this has been happening hundreds, probably thousands of times. In fact, yeah, well, maybe thousands of times over the past five, six, seven years across the planet. Uh, There is a fairly solid scientific theory that... uh, germs, viruses, bugs, etc. are carried on chunks of space rock. That's one theory actually how life was seeded on planet Earth. Panspermia uh, where life arrived on a space rock. So um, it's quite possible that there are several different types of alien viruses, viri that have arrived on our planet over the past number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question is, and Ebola may or may not be one of them. Uh, what Harrison just mentioned, the enterovirus, uh, may be another, and there may be others. Now the question is, which one is going to take 
if it's going to take it all, which one is going to win out and, you know, mutate in the correct way to, to spread, you know, with all the right kind of markers as in, you know, it has to be virulent enough. It has to be, um, has to be airborne or very easily transmissible to create a pandemic, like, you know, float in the air, um, people just breathing on each other type thing, uh, can get it. That kind of a virus is going to, uh, is going to be the one that wins out, the one that spreads the easiest and is the, and is the, the hardiest. Yeah. Now the, Ebola has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but uh, this new one, they're not even sure it's an enterovirus as far as I know. They just don't know what to name it. D68? The, uh, the, oh. cho- the one that children are getting. I mean, just now they've come up with a name. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't think so. I thought they, they'd had it nailed, but maybe I haven't looked into it too deeply. I think so. it's pretty reasonable. I mean, yeah. and, and Ebola, I mean, even if, um, is it really Ebola? Because they're noticing so many mutations. Can there be similar viruses coming from a space rock, rock like Joe said? I mean, they all the plagues had similar symptoms. That is, does it mean it's the same virus? No, exactly. Probably not. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Well, the other key condition is that the population, the host that receives this little information packet from space, is in the right condition to suffer horribly from it. Yeah. So if panspermia type theory is correct, well, then it's arriving all the time. And no biggie, the immune system in in general is capable of fending it off. But when the conditions meet where people are sufficiently corrupted, I mean, in terms of the, their body's health, and something comes, yeah, you're in trouble. It's a bit like at the planetary level, fireballs wouldn't really be an issue. They aren't generally an issue. But in this time when the atmosphere is drastically lowered and the Earth's magnetic shield is drastically weakened, these things are arriving further and closer to the ground. Therefore, they present far more direct danger to us. It's not just that fact. There are others. There does seem to be an increase in the actual quantity also. Mm. You can tell this from the higher number of comets reaching the inner atmosphere and diving into the sun. But uh, and comet dust, like yeah. Never mind whether or not you actually see or observe an increase in fireballs. If you have a larger number of debris in the general environment, Earth is just like a vacuum cleaner sucking on up as it passes through space on its normal orbit. So this is how, of course, how it all plays into all the weather chaos we're seeing. Increased volcanism, volcanic activity under the oceans, above the oceans. Um, <clears throat> uh, we theorized before that a very slight slowdown of the planet's rotation is key to all this weird tectonic and earthquake activity. Because of if you have all this comet dust, you've got a tiny amount of drag that isn't generally there. And this can have enormous, it's only a fraction of a slowdown, but can have a huge consequences on the entire biosphere. It's interesting that you mentioned, I, I like the, the word you used, corruption, for the state of our health. Because isn't it a funny coincidence that in such a corrupt time, in the you know the common sense of the word corruption in positions of power, it's just pandemic on the earth and at the same time we've got these our bodies are corrupted our health is corrupted 
they seem to go hand in hand. And when you look back in history, you know, we've talked about it before. Uh, Pierre's talked about it um, on his book, Earth Changes and the Human Cosmic Connection. So there is a, uh, a very clear connection between these all these phenomena, corruption in high places, um, the famines and just horrible health, the horrible living conditions, and the suffering that goes on, and the fireballs and the plagues. They all seem to come around the same time. So it's looking, it's looking like that's happening right about now. Mm-hmm. Metaphorically speaking, psychopaths, Lobachevsky uh-huh. said in political pomerology that psychopaths are like viruses mm-hmm. and they don't even realize they're going to end up destroying the body that they've infected. And the way polarization or the, uh, the process by which psychopathy uh, permeates into society is very similar to the way a virus works, actually. It's very interesting. Do you want to go into detail? No, <laughs> I think I a few more? You guys have stuff about <laughs> politics to discuss, but... We can say um, that. Well, there's a... You can be... Let's see, Harrison. There's <laughs> a there's a minute you get the virus. Mm-hmm. Then there's a latency period, latent period, when you're not contagious. Yeah. And, there, and then at the very end, you start being contagious, whether or not you develop the symptoms, right? Yeah. And then the minute you're at the peak of the symptoms, you start being less contagious for most viruses anyway. So you could hypothesize or speculate about the state of society. You know, I mean, psychopaths get in, they do their subtle thing for years, and there may be a crisis needed. The symptoms have to be very, very visible for people to actually become immune to it, or so we hope. Yeah, and that's actually pretty much exactly how Lobachevsky de- describes it in political ponderology, how the psych- how a group of psychopaths will get control over a, a political group or an organization. and th- But they pick organizations that have slightly, well, high language. So like in the name of humanitarianism, they've got ideals that people can get behind. And they use that as a cover to get in. So they basically infected this organization that normal people might support because of the words that these people are saying. So this is kind of like the latency period where you know things are going on behind the scenes, but it's not totally obvious left yet. And then it reaches a crisis period or point. So this can be a mass event or uh, Lobachevsky says like the point you can tell where a, a society is a pathocracy is when they start attacking their own people and cracking down on them. I mean, we see this in the States. Just look at the police state that we've got in the United States. And um, at that point, it's totally contagious. Not only do you have so, well, it's contagious beforehand. There's a period of of contagion where it can either infect other groups. Now, this can be like a kind of like psychological, sociological bio warfare where they'll infect other nations with via coup d'etat or uh, or warfare. But then it gets to a point where it is so over the top and so obvious that the people finally turn against the system at least that's the way Lobachevsky sees it so that's kind of the point where the virus is kind of like <laughs> done its thing can't can't do very much more and it collapses in on itself and basically you know the body dies with it and um you know and actually a virus is said not to be alive per se sometimes <laughs> and and it needs a host just like psychopaths need mm-hmm. human beings with a conscience to be polarized infected by that so that they can do the job for them I mean, the virus doesn't uh, multiply naturally. It needs a host 
which then produces the little parts that the virus will need to produce more viruses and then release them into the body. So it's kind of like what they do now, they will be, what they've been doing all throughout, especially the most recent years, until it attacks its own body, mm-hmm. humanity. And one other aspect of this, immunity. Because if you've survived a, a virus, you go through the crisis period, your symptoms disappear, and you, you supposedly get immunity from it. Lobachevsky said the same thing about pathocracies. Now, interestingly, um, Lobachevsky wrote his book primarily based on the Soviet Union. So you have this giant landmass, this giant country now, this, the Russian Federation, who has gone through this. They've experienced it firsthand, and it seems like at least some of them mm-hmm. have learned the lesson. It looks like Putin's learned the lesson and his advisors and the people that are actually getting things done in Russia. So I, I find that interesting that Russia, Soviet Union, which was one of the biggest pathocracies in the last hundred years, is now the one that's sticking up you know, is is going up against... It's, it's got a relatively high level of immunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the United States is kind of lagging behind. Lobachevsky said there was like a, uh, how many years, a 80-year lag behind Europe. So the the U.S. is right where, you know, let's say Germany was, you know, in the 30s, mm-hmm. late 30s. So Yeah, it's all about um, information, you know, because what you're talking about there is that uh, Russian people... Uh, are more immune to the lies and manipulations and propaganda mm-hmm. of of the West because they've kind of seen it all before. So there you're talking about an immunity uh, that is at a at the level of information of mm-hmm. awareness. Um, I think viruses posited also to be essentially, you know, information information at a fundamental level. There they have. They're, they have information encoded in them to do specific things. And your body also has information encoded in it to do certain things in response to a viral attack. But also you yourself, your conscious uh, self, um, is an information kind of receiver and disseminator as well, which includes um, awareness of what you can do to immunize yourself at a kind of more overt physiological level, like uh, maintaining your health and eating the right foods and not eating chemical laden foods that you know so it all seems to revolve around information uh, at, at different levels or in different ways you know it's all fundamentally uh, an information war at the macro level and at the micro level as well well speaking of the information war and russia um like i've often heard um old people like really old people that have lived through uh, communism, even like people in their fifties. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm talking about octogenarians, like people in their eighties yes, and nineties, <laughs> who have, who, who talk about what it was like and reading the news and how, when reading the news, they just automatically assumed, okay, well, this is what they're saying, so it's got to be false, or you know, maybe not that simple, but they they had an, a skepticism about what was in the news that we, except for what seems to be a very small percentage of the population, just isn't happening in the States. You know, people eat this stuff up. Now I'm Canadian from Canada. And just as an example of this, um, the Ottawa citizen uh, on October 3rd published an opinion piece by this woman, Oksana Bashuk Hepburn. I'm just going to read a little bit of it just to give you an idea of what the, what Canadians, you know, are being fed in their mainstream media. So she starts the article. Um, It's frightening that some Canadians support President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine rather than Canada's values of national sovereignty and territorial integrity. 
be it in the media or in public demonstrations like the one planned for Parliament Hill on Saturday. Russia's war of terror, Crimea annexation, ethnic cleansing, abduction, torture and murder, downing of the Malaysian plane are abominations. The criminal is Putin, not give me a break. <laughs> not the Ukraine. Not enough already. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> That's how it goes on for another ten paragraphs. And who is that? Oksana Bashuk Hepburn. She is. <clears throat> I bet she's a, a, a bet Ukrainian she's, expat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's, There's an awful lot of those yeah. in Canada. Yeah. I have. Uh, he's not really a relative. He's a relative of a relative, and his wife. Is, uh, is in Canada and his wife is Ukrainian and he just couldn't take anything I said about it I mean he was just so totally biased because his wife was uh, mm-hmm. uh, of Ukrainian stock she was I think she, her, her parents were maybe Ukrainian or grandparents um, and there's, he made me aware of the fact that there's a lot of them in Canada um, and they just can't, can't go there you know I mean mm-hmm. it's uh, <laughs> They're they're probably less able to go there than than some people in Ukraine. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Who are actually living it, you know. Uh, anyway, go back to a, a pathocratic regime devouring its own people. Since Mike Brown was executed in mid-August by a cop in Ferguson, Missouri, another hundred people have been shot dead mm-hmm. by cops in the U.S. 77 last month alone. Uh, there, there have been a lot of protests. They've been continuing. Obviously in Ferguson, Missouri, New York, across the U.S. Uh, just this week, another guy was shot. People, I, do, an 18-year-old. Do people, do people in the U.S. realize how unusual that is? I mean, do... do because it seems to me that, would you say 77? Mm-hmm. 100 since mid-August. Right, but in the last, in the last, the last month, month, 77. In the last month, 77 people shot dead by police uh, in the US. You know, the US is a big place, a lot of people, 300 million people. The UK, for example, is 60 million, that's a fifth. So a fifth of 77 is about 18 or something. If there were 18 people in the UK who are shot by police in the past month, there would be uproar. It would be like yeah. unheard of. But what have Americans simply become acclimatized to it over the past I don't know how many years? I mean, or maybe they're just not hearing about it because America is so big. Okay, that's a relative example I gave, but is 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 also the fact that it is so big means that if someone shot in uh, California, somebody in New York doesn't even hear about it. Never mind, uh, care about it. No, they're hearing about it, and what's really troubling is. Uh, we post these articles on SOT and sometimes on our Facebook page and then you go to YouTube videos about the protests or whatever and the overwhelming number of comments are in defense of the cops. Yeah. Authoritarian followers. Uh, it's just straight out. It's like, oh, the crack dealing punk had it coming. Uh, hello, but he was unarmed. Yeah, but he would in a crack dealing punk at some point in the future. Yep. God bless America. That is the overwhelming flavor of the comments. Now, there could be a lot of social media manipulation going on, but I still think it reflects the majority mindset. They are quite content that the government is eliminating untermenschen, mm. left, right, and center. 
It's horrific, and it's just it boggles my mind to think that there isn't a major national uh, uproar about it, and because people should be afraid, but maybe that's the point. People are afraid. This is making people afraid of the police, and therefore afraid of saying anything about it. Because if you start, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of catch twenty two. You know, uh, people are being shot out in the streets. Um, if you organize a, a protest and work in the streets. Uh, you're obviously going to confront cops, and it's the cops who've been shooting people. So maybe it's best to stay at home and not protest these things well, and just let uh, it get worse and worse and worse until there's hundreds of people every month being shot by police. And then a, a, say guy, nothing. a, a guy yesterday was, was killed, um, 18-year-old Von Derrett Myers in, in St. Louis proper in Missouri. And the, the story from the shopkeeper, he just left the store and he was asked for a comment and he said, the shopkeeper said to him, you know, he was a nice guy and he had told the kid, listen, it's getting dark. You, you better head off on home now. Now, isn't that interesting? That, that's the kind of conditions that exists in a major U.S. city. It's getting dark. You're black and you're young. There are people home. out there hunting for you. You oh, need to get did. home. Yeah, and the cop who gave chase to him, he says because he was fired at, but we cannot Right, one second, his his relatives say that's impossible. He was a gentle guy, unarmed. He's holding a sandwich. He was armed with a sandwich, yeah. which he just bought in the store. Mm. And for for running, this off-duty cop shoots him 17 times. Because mm. he ran away. Because he ran away. And the overwhelming response, public response, of those who do get to hear about it is, well, the punk deserved it. Mm. Just the extreme of authoritarian followers. I mean, it's the authority you're going to defend it till you get killed. Unless, you know, I think it's probably 50-50. I mean, people are afraid and they're like, mm -hmm. um, better be good because I could be the next one. Or just plain narrative upon narrative upon rationalization for why a cop no, must have done the right thing. Authoritarian followers are also afraid of authority. Yeah. So, I mean, that's across the board then there's people who don't like it uh, who are afraid and people who accept it as necessary but they do that because they're afraid that's their narrative mm -hmm. um, let's just go to a call here hi caller what's your name where are you calling from yeah this is Kent from West Virginia yeah um, well, hey Kent it's a, it's a wonderful gun loving country here and and the, the, the fantasy Americans have is that um uh, they're they're always they've got their guns because um, well there's going to be a revolution you know and they want to be ready and every reality of it is uh, uh, the, the most the motivation for people to have guns is a race race thing you know because because you know you see uh, protests and uh, uh, all all around the world you know and but you don't see anything here in the United States so talk a good game but they don't do anything they're just holding on to those guns because they want to shoot the black guy, you know, whenever the time comes. Mm. You're talking about the Ukrainians. I heard a funny story on uh, Canadian radio several years ago. That it was, they, apparently they um, they found uh, somebody up there who had been a guard during the war in the, in the Ukraine. Um, and anyway, they were, you know how in, they're, in this country or all around the world, they're always agitating for these Nazi prison guards. I mean, he's 97 years old, but... Somebody said he's a guard, so we got to roust him out and send him back to Germany or something. So they found this guy, and they said, well, um, well we want to send him back to Ukraine, get him out of Canada, you know. 
And so, well, the guy was Jewish, and so the, the well, the, the Canadian equivalent of the ADL, and the you know whatever, you know, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, blah blah blah, you know the whole story. And the, so the response from this Ukrainian group was, uh, well, we're not anti-Semitic. If you can find a prison guard that's not Jewish, you can deport him too. I thought that was a pretty good story, you might like. Uh-huh. Very good, yeah. Very true. Yeah. All right, Kent. So, uh, right, you got anything else? All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kent was a bit low there. Uh, we're on a new kind of uh, audio system here, and we may not have it fully worked out yet, but... Um, do you remember the story about the SWAT raid in May this year where they threw a flashbang grenade and it landed in a baby's crib and yeah. killed the baby? Uh, I think it did. I think the yeah. baby was injured, wasn't he? Was she injured? Yeah, it was injured. Severely injured. Mm. Okay, it wasn't killed. Uh, this week, grand jury just announced that the officers are off scot-free. I mean, of course, in that case, wow. it was probably an accident, you know. They, 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 they never, the cops will never get sanctioned by the justice system in America or pretty much anywhere else uh, because that the justice system ultimately is a part of the control system, part of the government uh, for maintaining law and order, and the cops are the thin blue line, whatever, the barrier between the ordinary people, and the elite. And the, uh, these elite are increasingly aware, even if they don't maybe rationalize it or think it out clearly, they, they have it definitely, especially after Occupy Wall Street and the various stuff going on around the world, you know, um, springs and uh, revolutions and stuff like that. Uh, there's, uh, I can imagine there's, they definitely feel that, that pressure, that threat, an increasing threat like never before from the ordinary people. And the only thing they have to protect themselves against the anger of the ordinary people are the, is the police force. They, they need to keep the police force on site. If they turn around and start sanctioning cops, putting cops in prison, they're going to push the cops into the arms of the people and against them. And they don't want to do that. So cops get a, get a, get clean away. They get, you know, they get let off every time and will continue to do so. And I don't think they'll, I don't think there's anything cops could do. Uh, that would incur any kind of uh, serious or meaningful sanctions by the by the system. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's amazing. I don't know why. I mean, it's really remarkable. And people really need to take stock of it of um of the fact that of of something has gone horribly wrong uh, in America because you know ten years ago or fifteen years ago there wasn't this level of police violence against ordinary people. Something clearly has changed. It doesn't take a lot of thought to come up with what uh, has changed in the past 10 or 15 years. Right? It's terrorism, threat to, you know, everybody from evil, amorphous terrorists. Therefore, we need to beef up our security state and, you know, give, increase the number of SWAT teams, increase the number of SWAT raids, give local police forces, you know, uh, armored Humvees and tanks and uh, sniper rifles and stuff and it's all based on on a fantasy uh, that really doesn't exist 
in, in the sense of it being a real threat. So what's it for? I mean, there's an inescapable conclusion here, no matter what way you look at it. But nobody wants to look at it rationally, right? They don't want to follow the follow the steps that got us here and look at the actual the, the rationale for those steps. Because if you do, you realize that there is no threat. Yet the the infrastructure to defend against that non-existent threat was put in place. So what's it for? Well, what has been the result of it? One result of it has been 5,000 people killed since 9-11 by police forces in the USA. 5,000 American citizens. Uh, that's cause and effect. You don't have another explanation for it. Nobody's saying that that's why they did it, but that is what has happened. Therefore, it's either, oh, an accident, whoops, how did this happen, it just all went wrong, or it was in some at some level planned that way. Come, give me another, give me another explanation for it. Anyone? 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 Yes. You at the back of the class, the ne'er do well boy at the back of the class, <laughs> the one that's always anti-establishment and stuff. Do you have an answer? Uh, no, I don't want to hear from any of these conformists at the front. <laughs> the guy at the back. Well, it is. It is obvious. If you if you were to look at it. Uh, in the most unconspiratorial way possible, pure economics, the single largest growth industry in the U.S. in the last 10 years is security industry. Yeah. That's where the only money where all this capital can be invested. That's where it gets scary. Yeah, That's where it gets truly scary because it's not scary that they planned it this way, that they planned to crack down on, on the local domestic population and to tighten the controls and put everybody in a state of fear that uh, was all a means to an end. And the end was, like you just said, making money for themselves, increasing their wealth, greed, greed as a sickness, insane, maniacal greed as a result of the increase in number of psychopaths in society and the polarization as a result of those psychopaths in positions of power of society. Uh, that's what happens. So it's effectively like a runaway train. Uh, it has no real rationale other than just kind of insanity and insane greed to accrue to themselves uh, as much wealth and power as possible. That's the end. And the fact that uh, it's turning the country into a police state is simply collateral damage. It's not, it's not the plan, at least of the people who are putting those policies into action or passing those laws. You can posit that there's some other plan further up in the ether or something and that's their plan is to is to control and increase uh, or, or to constrict the population and control the population more but the people the, the operatives i.e. the psychopaths in positions of power who are who are the essentially just the, the foot soldiers of of this higher power let's say uh, they're doing it as a function of who they are of their innate insane nature which is just it's a psychopathic nature. It doesn't take consideration of the future, of uh, results of their actions. It's simply here and now and what I, what I want and what I want is everything for me. And whatever I need to do or we need to do to get that, then we're going to do it. The end result is, so it's a really, it's, it's a very clever plan and plot because you can, and that's why it gives, gives rise to all these conspiracy theories that have no smoking gun evidence. 
uh, it's a perfect crime in a certain sense, you know, mm. because the people carrying out uh, the architects of the of of the plan on the planet can put their hand up honestly and say, no, we didn't intend to do this. This is not our plan. We don't have this grand kind of uh, yeah. new world order control the population plan. And they can mock people who yeah. attribute agency yeah. to them. And there's no no hard evidence for it. There's fact, no minutes from a meeting. In fact, you know? they tend to feed off it. Yeah. I think they quite enjoy because it, it, it ends up feeding into their sense, their egotistical empowerment over the, their lording it over other people. Mm-hmm. Conspiracy theorists really need to, to think about that. Conspiracy theorists, what is that? People who will see every outcome, every particularly every negative outcome, as a planned event to the nth degree, are they, they don't understand the extent to which they're hampering their own ability to, to figure things out because mm-hmm. you end up, Attributing agencies to a bunch of people who, who don't have that agency. are like two-dimensional people. Yep. they're not even human. But that's why. That's why. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, an important point, and it's because people are feeling. I can't blame so-called conspiracy theorists for 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 doing this and for reacting in this way because they are sensing a, a line of force or a you know an energy dynamic behind what they see happening on the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to imagine that it can't have been planned consciously by someone. The fact is that it wasn't planned consciously in the way that it seems to have been planned by the people who are the highest authorities on this planet who you could point the finger at. You're never going to get an admission out of them, and even if you give them you know, a lie detector test, they would never uh, fail it. Uh, they would never be able to admit that they consciously planned this New World Order Control yeah. the population, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think in, in a conscious way, they would never, they would never admit that because they're, that's not what they're doing. Um, so the best thing to do is to give up that idea of pointing the finger uh, at people in positions of power as being the architects of this dastardly, grandiose kind of plan to control the entire planet and everybody on it with all sorts of you know ways and means, and to simply stand up against the abusive and corrupt laws and practices that are being put in place and followed and say no rather than because you're going to alienate people, your audience, by trying to posit some kind of a Illuminati type plan. Keep that, keep that quiet. Keep that to yourself. You don't need to come out with that as your final conclusion because there's plenty of scope for simply railing against the, the injustices on this planet today. Yeah, and there are people who are sanctioning and passing laws that are extremely corrupt and abusive. Uh, but just simply leave it at that, rather than trying to ascribe some kind of uh, some motivation for do that, some ulterior motivation for for that. Their motivation is simply greed. Well, what we're seeing is really the symptoms of this global societal infection that we were talking about earlier. Um, when you look at what's going on in Ukraine. Um, the the Novorossians and the Russians they're all talking about how we're fighting fascism that's their that's their goal and that's what they're really fighting but not really like what they're really fighting is pathocracy they're fighting the fact that psychopaths end up getting basically you know orchestrating these things not in the sense that 
you know, Joe, you're talking about, about have, planning everything. Mm-hmm. It's that what we're seeing is like a natural process. When, when this sort of thing happens, it's an inevitable result that these people turn against, the, against, the, against their own citizens. Mm-hmm. It's an inevitable result that we have this violence and this warfare and everything going on like that. Yeah. So what we're seeing is, is it's like a, if you have a virus and you have a symptom, it's not like the virus plans the symptoms and has this, this nasty plan to no. kill the body. It's exactly. Just, it's just what happens. It's just what it does. Yeah. It's what it's programmed to do. Mm-hmm. It's programmed to invade overtake and ultimately kill and like the like we say often enough it's kind of uh, it's insane it's an insane uh plan because ultimately like a virus will kill the body it will be burned in the fire that burns the body that the virus itself killed so good job yeah you just destroyed yourself as well and that's what psychopaths are going to do ultimately they will just pursue their insane greed to the limit and beyond and have no concern for the results. Um, so all we can do is simply do our best to waken people up to, uh, to well, that fact and try and... People are responding on an issue-by-issue issue basis. But I think they have they have a global awareness. Even if today I'm protesting against fracking, tomorrow I'm protesting against this trade partnership between the U.S. and the EU. I mentioned those two things because this week there were mass protests, um, especially in Europe. But in first, the first one is fracking. There were 250 different protest events on every continent as part of Global Frack Down Day, organized to target fracking. Now, in itself, you're like, well, okay, yeah, that's bad. But I, I would imagine that a lot of the people upset enough to take that issue and get to the streets about that one. Also hold the awareness, I can hope, that the impetus for this one particular destructive strategy ultimately comes from the same source of hypocrisy. It's, it's very much being pushed by the U.S. regime. Simultaneously, mass protests in Europe, uh, Ireland's biggest protests in decades, apparently 120,000 people crowded Dublin yesterday to protest a local issue, a water tax. Previously, it was, you know, water's free. Well, you actually pay for it, like other public utilities in other taxes, like income tax, but they want to add an additional charge as part of these austerity measures to, quote, bring, bring Ireland back into financial equity, balance, whatever. In other words, to pay off the, the, the banker's debts so there's a local issue which wouldn't have interest beyond its borders, but it's a reaction. It's a felt reaction on the part of people to the pathocracy at the top mm. and what it's doing to us. It's a reaction to oppression. Mm. Simultaneously, a anti-TT, this is the this is the third branch of protest, TTIP, such an Orwellian, bland Name the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership. This is basically the Atlantic Empire trying to cement itself into a one unitary function, EU plus US plus Canada, I think. Not sure. Uh, people protesting in the UK against it, but also the biggest protests were in Berlin. And I, and I won't get you know, carried away by it, but it's instructive 
of a reaction to the U.S. Mm. the U.S. regime. Well, this this TTIP thing is is insane uh, on many different levels, uh, but it's indicative of you know the way that these people operate. It's corporations. What it effectively does is uh, break down all sorts of trade and business barriers between the European Union and the U.S. to allow ultimately for corporations uh, in America and in the EU to uh, to kind of do better business, do business more easily with each other. I mean, trade tariffs are already very low between the U.S. and the EU, about 3%, but they want the full, the full Monty. You know, they want everything. They don't have access, for example, to public... Uh, Public uh, services uh, in, in in Europe, for example, they well. want they want to strip away the regulations that are in place to keep oligarchic interests at bay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that includes, for example, you know, breaking down barriers. Particularly, most of it, when you look at it, most of it uh, is is going to favour the US because right now the US is restricted and kept out of the European markets because of. Uh, the way that they manufacture and uh, produce food. Um, uh, that's just w- one example of the way they do business, obviously, as well. But um, in terms of, you know, the, the, the laws uh, on on uh, employment laws and employee laws in the U.S. are much more lax. You know, trade unions don't have any power in the U.S. where they do still have some power in the European Union. So they want to break all those down in the European Union. They want to stop, for example... One thing that's targeted is GMOs. GMOs are generally more or less totally banned in Europe. Uh, but this uh, TTIP, or the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, uh, is going to, the theory, or the, the goal of it is to allow GMOs uh, into Europe, remove that ban on GMOs in Europe, therefore, uh, therefore allowing a lot more American produce to flood Europe, i.e. contaminated, tainted, toxic GMO food into Europe. Um, there's also chemicals, for example, there's, um, in food manufacture, there are uh, 12 chemicals that are banned in the U.S. Uh, uh, for the inclusion that were one time uh, included in, or, or they attempted to include them in the production of food and then they were banned, so there's only 12. Um, in the EU, for example, there's a 1,000 chemicals that are banned. So, you know, 988 chemicals that are now banned as part of food production in the EU, the goal of TTIP is to remove that ban and therefore allow uh, essentially chemical-laden food from the US into the European Union. It includes also, for example, uh, bovine growth hormone, hormone, which is uh, banned in in Europe, uh, but not in the US. Therefore, cows uh, and cow meat that has been injected with hormones uh, that previously was not allowed into Europe will now be allowed into Europe. Um, but generally speaking, it's yeah, it's it's basically handing over control of everything really to yeah, corporations. I, it's kind of fascism as defined by Mussolini, which is you know the the. the Corporate control of government. Yeah, essentially corporations. Uh, well, it was kind of corporations and, and government ruling together, but in this case, it's corporations supplanting government. Corp gov. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, because there's also a law where um, 
or part of TTIP, uh, one of the stipulations is that um, corporations would be allowed to sue governments for laws uh, that, uh, that, the, that the corporation claims lost them profit. For example, if a corporation, an American corporation set up in Europe and wanted to dump wastewater into a river and the government shut it down, then that corporation theoretically could sue the government for lost business because of that policy. So it's essentially, you know, it's, it's rewriting. It, 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 it implies the rewriting or the removal of many laws of European countries that are there to protect uh, the population yeah. and to in favor corporation and favor uh, the profit making of corporations. This, this kind of activity is long since underway. I mean, yeah. Brussels, where most laws for the whole of Europe are written, are already subject to heavy mention from lobby groups, just like in D.C. Maybe it isn't to the same, same extent yet. This would be like a quantum leap mm-hmm. in, bringing it in bringing it down to the same level that it is in D.C. Uh, I'd like to put this in another way. Um, this TTIP strategy is, you see, in the U.S. at this point, they... They talk about an economy in crisis. Yeah, the real economy is screwed, but the people who have accumulated vast wealth, they have a problem. They need to invest their capital in order to make it grow again or they'll lose everything. This is how capitalism needs to grow and grow exponentially. They need new markets to survive and to increase their wealth. They need somewhere to put it. They want to sink it into public services in Europe, mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah. When it comes to wars in other countries, they destroy the country, and the very first thing they do is they turn around and hand contracts left, right, and center because it's a means for them to reinvest the capital that's sitting there idle back home because of this damn recession in the real economy. So it's the essence of this, this virus we're talking about. The host will die if it does not find new victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just to give you some statistics from here, seventy uh, percent of all processed foods sold in the U.S. in U.S. supermarkets—that's seventy percent—now contain GMO uh, ingredients. Um, by contrast, uh, as I said, there are GMOs are banned in Europe. So TTIP plans to remove that ban and allow theoretically seventy percent of, uh, of food in European supermarkets will then be GMO as well, and they'll be largely uh, U.S. Uh, produce food. Um, there is also uh, controls, European Union controls on endocrine disruptors, which are chemicals known to interfere with the human hormone system. Uh, there are maximum levels of contamination at a level that would block 40% of all US food exports. So basically, um, the laws against uh, endocrine disruptors, chemicals, and foods that cause hormone. Uh, damage to hormones, uh, the human hormone system, um, that blocks 40% of all food, U.S. food exports to Europe. Uh, so the U.S. industry groups are trying to use TTIP to get rid of that. Uh, I mentioned the bovine growth hormones. Um, there's also chicken and turkey regularly. Uh, U.S. producers of chicken and turkey treat their bird carcasses with chlorine before selling them on to customers. And that was banned in Europe in 1997. Uh, 
so the US government is now uh, challenging that ban, <coughs> challenging that ban under TTIP. Um, there's also environmental factors. Toxic Substances Control Act requires public regulator to prove that a chemical is unsafe before it can be restricted. Uh, that's the opposite. That's in the US. Uh, a chemical for for human consumption in the US has to be uh, uh, the public regulator, the US government, or whatever, has to prove that it's unsafe. Otherwise, it goes through. Um, Innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. But but in the EU, it's the opposite. Uh, The corporation that wants to use it in food has to prove that it's safe before it can go through. So they want to turn that around and have the EU uh, follow US policy. And it's not that they are necessarily actively gunning for poisoning the whole of Europe. No, what they they're gunning money. for is they want the money. They're exactly. saying, it's you see, the problem is it before. costs us too much for us to test this first, so why don't you just let us sell it, and then the market will do its magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? What's yeah. really sickening about this is that it's a done deal, basically, in Brussels yeah, and it's Washington. Gonna be, it's going to be zero consultation with... It was, in, it was held... It was, it, was, it was essentially top secret. It was classified... It's, they've been talking about it for over a year and having hundreds of meetings for over a year. And it was only uh, in the last month that they've declassified one document on it. And they're planning to have it uh, go into action or go, be implemented into law or in, you know, uh, by the end of this year, hopefully. <clears throat> I mean, one example is, and this, this involves, uh, it's the same thing. They call it the National Sover- uh, the Investor State Dispute Settlement, which is that idea of uh, allowing an investor, i.e., a U.S. corporation, to bring a case directly against uh, the country, the, the government, host the country, the government of the country hosting its investment. Um, so, an example of that is Slovenia. Several years ago, or ten years ago, or something, sold off its NHS or its National Health Service to a private company, a Dutch company. And but then a new government came in in 2006 and overturned that and wanted to pub, publicify <laughs> to to make the national health service public again. Nationalize it to nationalize it, yeah. And the uh, the government, the the company, the Dutch company, is now suing the Slovenian government for loss for its loss of profit uh, and trying to prevent it from essentially providing free healthcare. So a cor- this is a good example of what's going to happen. A corporation preventing a national government from providing free health care to the citizens yeah. because they will lose money. Yeah. The corporation will lose money. And that's so democracy. That's yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's democracy when they're going to lose money. Yeah. You turn it around and you've got a situation where they will unilaterally declare sanctions on Russian companies. Yeah, it's the whole thing is... <laughs> Maybe they needed those sanctions in order to push this even more. You know, they vilify one side and then they get... Um, they get in, the, in the broadest... It, 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 if, if they were thinking in terms of strict business, they'd be shooting themselves in the feet, in both feet, because they lose out. But... Possibly at a, the broadest level, the way the way I sort of see this is a consolidation of Europe under an, a U.S. grasp, and then it makes sense that what the, the sanctions against Russia yeah. are a part of 
keeping Russia out. Yeah, first um, you keep Russia out, and then you're like, well, Europe, now you're with us. Why don't we push this forward? Well, like I said, one of the crazy, ridiculous things about this TTIP, uh, what well, we discussed all the crazy, ridiculous, horrendous, abusive, corrupt things uh, about it, and yeah, absolutely everybody should be protesting it. Uh, not that it will make much difference, but, you know, it's it's worth it, it's worth doing it anyway. Um, but the objective of it, uh, general objective, is to increase trade and investment between the EU and the US. So there's a kind of a a problem, an obvious kind of disconnect with that, um, because there's this vast chunk of land to the to the east of the European Union that is for some reason being completely <coughs> completely ignored in preference to this ridiculous abusive corrupt trade deal with a country you know 5000 kilometers away across the ocean it's maddening that when you when you think about it i mean you know they're talking about the untapped resources within uh, the us for example and the, between the us and the eu the untapped business that can be done there and and they do the EU and the US by far do do by far the most trade with each other than anywhere else in the world. And yet, the EU is on a landmass called Eurasia, and there are dozens of massive countries with, or big countries with several massive ones with massive resources that are being completely ignored in the, in fa- in favor of of America. You know, trade with America, which is ridiculous. Not you know? completely. You well, hear largely. Uh, there was a statement from David Cameron recently, uh, in all seriousness, suggesting the EU welcome Turkey, Azerbaijan, and Georgia mm. into the EU. Let's just, let's just expand eastwards. Oh, yeah. So they, th- they understand that at some level. That they, that they but, need to go east. Yeah, they got to go but east. They got to bring but it. They into mean it the... in terms of expanding the pathocratic regime. Yeah. Ex- Expanding the, the Anglo-American Empire yeah. and, and, and keeping America on side. When what's the problem? Just ditch America. Sayonara, bye bye. You know, adios. Whatever language you speak there. And you're, uh, really, I mean, just let's get back to kind of real politics and real geography here. American can do business with Canada and South America, and Eurasia can rule the world. <laughs> I think. South America oh. saying, uh, well, no, so, th- no, thank you, gringo. Okay. <laughs> we, we go well, China. No. Well, you'd be allowed. I mean, uh, Juliana is from South America, so she she's objecting, and that's fair enough. <laughs> and Harrison here. Was and Harrison from Canada. Okay, well, I'm sorry, America, <laughs> but we have objections here from the other two uh, potential partners. So you're on your own. In an ideal world, the U.S. would be isolated with... Would be what? Isolated. Isolated. I mean, in the same way that's been suggested for Israel. Fine, let Israel put a wall around it and keep them, put them under siege. It um, would help. Starve them out, frankly. In an ideal world, there would be regime change. Mm-hmm. If, if, if regime change was ever needed, well, if we do this, it might force America. it. We can force regime change in the US if we isolate it. Yeah. The beauty of what, see, what's kind of happening is that. In the wishful thinking of the psychopathic drive to, you know, more and more, I must invest, I need more. 
they are doing this to themselves. So yeah. what I've just said would be like, oh, it's an outrageous, subversive, anti-American thing to say. But what I'm describing is what you are actually, you're building a wall, pretty much a wall with Mexico. You're, uh, you're doing the equivalent of, um, what, what, what was, how is it described? A regime gets to a point where they, they try to keep everyone in the state. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, under their control. They're mm-hmm. doing the financial equivalent of it through FACA, mm-hmm. making it extremely difficult for Americans not living within the U.S. Mm-hmm. They, by their actions towards Russia, towards China, towards the entire planet, they are isolating themselves. They are actually imploding. And so these things like TIP, TTIP, TTIP, the desperation to not bring about the very scenario their actions seem. Yeah. Well, it's not a fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what happens when, you, when you're when you insane and you're following insane policies and objectives that, uh, I mean, you're, not, you're talking about people who aren't really human beings here. I mean, one of the fundamental aspects of uh, human nature, what makes a normal human being, is um, kind of self-preservation, right? Uh, and that involves seeing into the future, <clears throat> learning from your mistakes, and you know not repeating your mistakes if possible. Certainly, if they're painful enough, you won't repeat them. And if something comes along, or if you if you come up with an idea and you can see that there's obviously going to be a a negative result from it, you don't do it. Psychopaths and power don't have that. So obviously, therefore, the end result. The logical end result is that they're going to destroy themselves and, and take as many people down with them as possible, and they won't care. I mean, talking about policies, I mean, it's just looking so bad across the U.S. We talked about the police uh, and what we we're just mentioning about, you know, is- essentially isolating themselves, but you know, in in an effort to kind of not be isolated, they are isolating themselves increasingly. Uh, I mean, they're California. The the environment is responding in kind type of thing uh, across the world. But in the U.S., for example, in, in California, California California is um, experiencing an unprecedented drought. They're wondering, a lot of places are wondering where they're going to get their water from. But when they look for that water, what they find is that California aquifers have been contaminated with billions of gallons of fracking wastewater. So the water that's available that they could actually try and kind of reroute or use to to um, mitigate the the problem of of the lack of rainfall has been contaminated because by billions of gallons of fracking, wastewater because of fracking. And what's fracking for? Fracking is simply digging deeper and deeper for more money. For more because of your increasingly insane greed. And, and the end result, but the end result is the pe- people, the ordinary people suffer, right? Ordinary people are going to suffer. You know, I mean, uh, it could get to a point where, I mean, what's, what's California going to do if it's no water, if it has no water, you know? And no, they've taken away so many jobs. They've, they've taken companies abroad and all that expansion just to make more money and get more, you know, pay less salaries to yeah. under, underdeveloped countries. If China right now were to say bye bye, I mean, they're screwed. There's no jobs. There's no real production in the U.S. except for the local local production for of something. But they they don't have enough. I mean, somebody there was an article saying that the the U.S. would have enough food for one week 
only fresh food mm-hmm. if all the industry were to stop. Mm-hmm. That's like nothing. That's like really serious, a serious lack of planning. Mm-hmm. But that's it's it's infected that psychopathic inability to plan for the future and to you know not. Uh, walk towards a cliff has infected the population and it's I mean it's defined by the particular variety of capitalism that America espouses which is just live for today be greedy as you possibly can for today and forget about tomorrow and uh, many Americans are simply living for the moment for the next cheeseburger you know for the next you know <laughs> Twinkie, Twinkie. <laughs> the next Twinkie whatever you know for the next hit of whatever it is that hits them, you know, the, the self type of thing, pure kind of uh, ego and narcissism and selfishness. And they're not thinking about the future. And I mean, it's an example of polarization of society where a flavor or a version of that psychopathic mindset drifts down and affects the society at, in, at an ideological level and what people want and what they aspire to, what they, what they chase after. And they're all sleepwalking I wonder, is there Over a cliff? is there even an actual virus at work at that level too? I mean, there's a guy we've had in the show, Paul Levy, who talks about the wetical virus. Mm. Well, that's a... Okay, he's kind of metaphysical about it. But, I mean, Jesus, uh, people are like infected yeah. with evil. Yeah. How else do you put it? And in sufficiently large numbers that there hasn't been enough of a shock that few of them might stir from their slumber, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Some of them have, but... Most haven't. Yeah. And uh, the fact that most haven't and most are just, you know, continuing to to sleepwalk towards the cliff edge uh, means that the, the kind of weight of that, yeah, that, that sleep sleepfulness or that entropy, that, that inward looking thinking is, doesn't augur well for the future for America in terms of uh, it kind of, you know, being reflected in natural disasters, for example, or in some way attracting uh, a response from from Mother Nature. Um, What about, uh, what's going on with our favorite uh, boogeyman terrorists these days? Well, a little bit more of the same. Uh, Lately, though, well, speaking of protests, um, there's been a, a fourth group of protests going on in numerous cities all over Europe. I th- I'm not sure if there have been any in in North America, but mainly in Europe, uh, Brussels, London, uh, Dusseldorf. Thousands, tens of thousands of Kurds protesting that the U.S. and its allies aren't doing enough to save the Kurds in Syria. So what's happening in Syria is on the border of Turkey, there are a lot of uh, there's a Kurdish population there. Specifically, the city of Kobani is currently being in Syria. In Syria, yes, uh, which is close to the border of Turkey, Mm -hmm. is currently being attacked by ISIS. And um, at one point yesterday, uh, ISIS had like taken control of 40 percent of the city. Um, there are at least 550 confirmed deaths. Um, now, lately, the, le- the latest update I, I saw was from a pro-Western Syrian group 
Syrian human rights group. You know, these are the guys saying that Assad kills his own people, that kind of thing. So who knows if we can trust them. But they were saying that the the Kurdish defense forces basically have somehow or somewhat repelled the ISIS attack. But what's going on there is that, meanwhile, the U.S. is continuing continuing to bomb areas of Syria and Iraq, but really not doing much in Kobani. So it's like they're bombing all these empty buildings and oil refineries and grain silos. And meanwhile, ISIS is like, okay, whatever, we're just going to, you know, continue to continuing continue to take over, um, you know, cities in this region and gain control of, you know, a larger and larger area of these two countries. Now, um, Turkey is, has had a Kurdish independence problem for years. And there's the, the, what are they called? The PKK? Yep. Yeah. They're basically the Kurdish workers, you know, independence group in, or independence party in Turkey. And they are al- that party is allied with the groups in Syria, the the Kurds in Kobani that are currently being attacked. Um, I can't remember the name of their group right now, but anyways, they're basically a faction of this. And they are labeled by Turkey and the U.S. as a terrorist group. So we've got this alleged, you know, so-called terrorist group that is currently trying to fight ISIS, which is another terrorist group. And which the U.S. is supposed to be attacking, but they're attacking in other regions. And so this is going on, and all these Kurds living in different European countries are protesting all over, conveniently asking for more airstrikes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I was suspicious about what was going on there. Simultaneously, protests erupt. Brussels Parliament, I think they actually stormed into the building. I mean, nobody gets close enough unless. This kind of, here's a protest we want everyone to see, you know, across uh, Germany as well. Um, right away, I knew the Kurds had been activated. So I looked into the BKKs and its various offshoots. They are, they remind me of the MEK, the Iranian cult in exile, mm-hmm. where they have a lot of friends in high places in the West. And if you go to one of their websites, it's clear that their main base and has been for 20-odd years is London. They're London, another, and yet another City of London exile group, mm-hmm. which isn't too brain down on, on the whole. The Kurdish thing is just, I, can't, I wonder, was it done deliberately in the very beginning? Kurdistan, if, it, if you were to imagine such a country, would cut across Iraq, Syria, Iraq, and, and Syria, and Turkey, <clears throat> and, part of and part of Iran. But the way they cut the borders makes the juncture of all four of those countries smack in the middle of quote Kurdistan. And they would have known damn well at the time when the Sykes-Picot line was drawn up in the early 19th, 20th century that yeah, well, it's right in the middle of an entire ethnic group that should be a nation state into itself. But you see, they didn't draw those lines thinking of the people and democracy and all that crap. Those lines would... Iraq, you know the reason why Iraq is that strange shape, almost like a rhombus? is because it fits in the northern oil fields in Kurdish-controlled northern Iraq and the southern oil fields in Basra. Mm. British, it was draw, the it was all the lines were drawn up by British course, Petroleum. Yeah. The entire Middle East was drawn up for uh, on, on business... Grounds, not on, on demographics, you know. Um, yeah. 
But I don't, there's a whole history. I mean, they've alternately, yeah, it's officially listed at the PKK as a terrorist group, but they also fund them. Mm-hmm. There's good reason to suspect Israeli Mossad has directly funded PKK terrorism mm-hmm. slash freedom fighters, depending yeah. on the, the mood of the day. Today, they're our friends and mm-hmm. we want to support them. Government this week said they have, didn't say when, just let us know retrospectively they have troops on the ground in the north of Iraq training and equipping Kurdish freedom fighters. When only 20 years ago, they were doing everything under power to have these people crushed. Mm-hmm. Because they wanted to snuggle up with Turkey. Yeah. Because uh, Turkey doesn't like the Kurds, because the Kurds want a bit of Turkey for a uh, nation state. Um, yeah, the whole ISIS, ISIL, IS, Barney, the purple Muslim dinosaur terrorist, is kind of funny. It's so transparent that it's been um, manufactured. Um, John McCain. <laughs> Uh, who obviously has, you know, repeated flashbacks to Nam <laughs> when he was in the hole in Nam every five minutes. Every time he's asked for an interview or asked to say anything, he has a flashback to Nam and comes out with a bunch of uh, gobbledygook. But uh, he's still there and he's recently he's urging for ground ground troops to defeat ISIS, ISIL, etc., etc. Um, <clears throat> so, but John McCain is. He's good in a certain sense. He's he's an idiot, and he says things that he shouldn't say. Um, he's on record as having said uh, he likes the Free Syrian Army and the Al Nusra Front, basically Al Qaeda. That I'll just let you hear what he said uh, not so long ago to that asshat. Uh, what do you call him on Fox News? Hannity. Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. Uh, who, yeah, I won't talk about him. Uh, anyway, he was talking, this is McCain talking to Hannity about ISIS. And on top of that, I am concerned about this report about Syrian rebels and the ceasefire with ISIS. Uh, Senator but Paul, that's not true. Well, it's not true. Uh, it's not true. The, uh, Whether, I don't care about the report. I know these people intimately. We talk to them all the time. But also let me point out that um, if... We are going to conduct a conflict the way you are describing it, and I'm afraid that's the case. This is reminiscent of Vietnam, the gradual escalation that ended up in one of the worst defeats that America has ever suffered. Let me ask you about what your colleague Rand Paul said about it this morning. He said it's a mistake to arm them. Most of the arms that we've given the so-called moderate rebels have wound up in the hands of ISIS because ISIS simply takes it from them or it is given to them, and we mistakenly actually... Um, end up giving it to some radicals. How, how, look, things has are Rand very... Paul, has Rand Paul ever been to Syria? Has he ever met with I, ISIS? Has I, I, he I'm ever met with, with fight, any of these people? No, no, no. I, they, we're going <laughs> to have a fight because it's patently false. This is the same Rand Paul that said we didn't want to have anything to do with, with anything to do in the Middle East, by the way. I don't want to get in a fight with him at all. Yeah. But it's not true. I know these people. I'm in contact with them all the time. All right, let me ask you <laughs> Has he ever met ISIS? <laughs> I've been in con- I'm in contact with them all the time. Uh, of course, you could excuse him and say he was having a flashback and he thought he was talking about the Viet Cong or something. But... Um, he, McCain is, you know, has, is the one who has come out uh, and said most clearly uh, that 
there is definite contact and handling definite handling going on with these ISIS and ISIL etc. leaders. Uh, I mean, there's photographic evidence of there's a recent video, one of the most recent propaganda videos. This is ISIL or the Islamic State, whatever. Of it's kind of training video where they show, you know, them crawling on the ground under barbed wire and stuff. And in the background, there's tents, and they all have USA or US on them, but they're basically American military uh, issue uh, tents. Of course, the plausible explanation is, well, they stole those from the Iraqis, right? They ran, uh, but they overran Iraq and got a, a hold of uh, Humvees and stuff. There's also a report that um, there were some observers in um, in in Syria and in the areas where ISIS was, um, they, they were going around picking up shells. And they said that the vast majority of shells in the areas of ISIS were all Amer- from American American companies that made the made the guns. Again, they stole them from the Iraqis, right? Mm-hmm. But they made sure to get that out early on. Yeah, that they arrived in the country and they took all the exactly. Equipment. Yeah, they overran it. You know, it was yeah. very much publicized a lot. Yeah, they overran Iraq and got all our stuff, and you know that we gave to the Iraqi army, and the Iraqi army somehow just you know walked away and said, okay, you can have it, you know, and this is just after the Americans had left and left the Iraqi army, all of these weapons and equipment. It's all a little bit convenient, you'll admit. And with John McCain there with his people and maybe he, him himself, you know, were smoking a hookah or something with a bunch of jihadis, you know, uh, you know, you get the picture, you see what's going on really. Um, and it's just more, it's more 9-11, our terrorists, you know, they're out to get us. They hate us for our freedom. We have to destroy them. Uh, but we're not going to do it, actually. We're just going to, that's the narrative, but we'll use that excuse to go around and, uh, you know, essentially. We know they hate us for our freedom because we talk to them regularly. Yeah. And they tell us so. They tell us so. Well, Every time we have lunch and yeah. go partying, they tell us uh, yeah, they hate exactly. it. That's all I hear. I, I mean, I don't understand. I get the guy lunch next. Thing he tells me he hates me from a freedom. I'm like, what? Yeah. Well, it's m- like John McCain was having <laughs> was having uh, having some uh, baby back ribs, some pork ribs with uh, with a few ISIS leaders in a strip club in Miami just last week. Yeah, and between and, uh, lines of coke, the guy said to him, "I hate you for your I freedoms." Hate, see these freedoms, these ribs, and and the strippers and uh, and the coke. I hate that. Uh, and John was like, "Yeah, I feel you, man." But listen, what are we going to do? About Welcome it? to my world. Well, what are we going to do? About, what are we going to do about Assad? Well, that statement from from McCain was pretty funny because, you know, he says he's talking on the phone with these people all the time, and it's just simply not true that there's a truce between the Syrian rebels and ISIS. Well, if you actually listen to the statements from the so-called Syrian rebels. Um, there's this one guy, Basel Idris. He's a free Syrian army commander. There's Abdel Jabbar al-Okaidi, uh, a, a colonel of the free Syrian army. And then Jamal Marouf, a uh, Syrian revolutionary front leader. All three of them have said publicly that, yeah, we're working with ISIS. You know, we, we've got a truce. We're working together against Assad. I mean, so maybe these guys just uh, don't fill McCain in when they're, you know, having their chats every lunch time, you know. But, I mean, these guys... 
Like, and you know, so's are admitting the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing just, is ridiculous. It seems like uncoordinated chaos. Well, just look. Last year, came okay, John Kerry was like peeing his pants in front of the camera to get yeah. to, to get to bomb Assad. Right? He was about to do it. He was whipping everybody up, and everybody were America was going to go and bomb Assad and get rid of Assad. Assad's evil. We have to get rid of Assad. And at the same time, it was publicly acknowledged. There's no question about it that the U.S. and the CIA and Saudi uh, kind of Gulf states were arming and training the Free Syrian army mm-hmm. uh, to get rid of Assad. Now ISIS also wants to get rid of Assad, and the Free Syrian army are working, fighting with ISIS and Al Nusra Front, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I mean, yeah, there you go. I mean, America is supporting Al Qaeda, the new Al Qaeda. America is funding, training, supporting the new Al Qaeda, the ones that supposedly, if you want to make the connection, killed three thousand people in nine eleven. Your American government or the people who control it or whatever, who went to war because Muslim terrorists killed 3,000 people on 9-11, that same government, those same people, the architects of the Iraq war, etc., are now funding and training and arming the terrorists that killed 3,000 people on 9-11. Okay, you happy with that? Fine, there you go. Well, just... You don't deal with it, you know? I mean, people are like, oh, that's terrible. You can't say it. No, I can't say that because that's what's happening. If you just look at the data, that's obviously what's happening, right? I'm not a conspiracy theorist for saying it. It's not crazy kooky conspiracy theory. It's just the truth. You know? And the only problem with anybody who has a problem with that, you're just being childish. Grow up. That's the way the world works. You know, freedom and democracy and we can't, you know, America's great and kind of stuff. Get over yourself. I mean, I wish I, I never meet uh, one of those kind of died in the wool kind of wrapping the flag Americans, you know? I'd love to have that conversation with them, you know? It wouldn't be about, you know, it wouldn't be on on, on, <clears throat> on any kind of ideological or, you know, nationalistic or political kind of angle that I would be having a discussion with that person. I would just say, you know, listen, we're talking about facts here. And what you're giving me is a load of childish bullshit that is in fantasy land and doesn't even take stock of the actual facts that are available for anybody to verify. You know, so it's not about uh, it's not about name calling anymore. You know, it's about simply the facts on the ground and accepting that that's the way the world works. And it's not strange that I'm not positing some kind of a fantastical, crazy world where people meet in dark rooms and conspire to take over the world. No, I'm just saying that the people who killed three thousand people on nine eleven are now being trained and funded by the same government, the same people in power in the U.S. Right? Okay, there you go. Just deal with it. It's not nice, but there you go. It's yeah. politics. That's the way it works. You remember the statement last week from from Biden? He was talking to some... Yeah. I've got it right here. I'll read Harvard, it out. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, so, so referring to Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, Biden said, quote, They were so determined to take down Assad and essentially have a proxy Sunni-Shia war. What did they do? They poured hundreds of millions of dollars and tens of thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad, except that the people who were being supplied were al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and the extremist elements of jihadis coming from other parts of the world. Now, you think I'm exaggerating? He continued to emphasize his point. Take a look. Where did all of this go? Uh, So Biden claimed that the U.S. opposed arming these 
al-Qaeda-linked groups, which included ISIS, adding, quote, we could not convince our colleagues to stop supplying them. (laughs) They did it. They did it. Now, this week, he's been backed up by a former British general who got a a headline in the British sort of right-wing newspaper, The Telegraph. Qatar and Saudi Arabia have ignited the time bomb by funding the global spread of radical Islam. He writes, the root problem is that these two countries are the only two countries in the world where Wahhabi Salafism, the extreme form of Islam, is the state religion. ISIS, ISIL, is a violent expression of that Salafism. The primary threat of ISIS is not to us in the West, to Saudi Arabia and to the other Gulf states. Haven't I been saying this for weeks? Yep. But that's what they're afraid of, and it's being used. This is the threat, the implied threat by the U.S., felt by the Gulf states, that if these kind of proxy groups uh, can be used to overthrow um, Assad or Gaddafi or whoever, then what's to stop them overthrowing the House of Saud? Uh, you know, so, and, and now you have Biden kind of like upping the ante by saying, yeah, they did it. Okay, so the Saudis sent all the, all the weapons and the, and so where did the Saudis get the weapons from? Let me look through my records here. I think there's a three billion dollar arms sale from, oh, from America to Saudi Arabia just last year. Did you, did you happen to wonder where those, uh, Weapons might be going when you signed off on that deal. Give me a break, Biden. You're full of shiite Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> and the UK had massive arms deal to Qatar. So they're yeah. both as thick as thieves in this. <coughs> and so, Turkey. That's the other one that Biden had to apologize for. Had to apologize for, for saying that mm-hmm. Turkey was doing this. Yeah, blaming everybody. It's and, got to the point where America's like <laughs> pointing the finger at everybody in the Middle East. It was all their fault. They did it. We don't know what to do anymore. But there was obviously an arrangement that the U.S. is backstabbing uh-huh. people left, right, and center. Yeah, they're not meant to break ranks like that. No, but they're breaking ranks because I don't know what their actual agenda is, but um, maybe they'll have an ultimate plan to get rid of a few uh, monarchies in the Middle East and they figure this is the opening salvo, you know. You guys are responsible. If it all goes to hell and you get overthrown... Well, then you've only got yourself to blame and our weapons. Um, And just, you know, while all of this madness is going on, right now, today, we have um, Bong Fong and Hud Hud. Hud Hud? Hud Hud and Bong Fong. Who are they? Are they like new terrorist groups? <laughs> two new terrorist groups. They're, they're two new terrorist groups. Uh, one of them is centered on Okinawa and Japan. That's Wong Fong. And Hud Hud is a terrorist uh, cyclone, a typhoon in, um, off the east coast of India. Pretty major uh, cyclone and typhoon. Basically hurricanes. It's just silly when they're in a different part of the world. They're called uh, different names, different. <laughs> but they're hurricanes, pretty strong ones. Uh, right now, in Okinawa, Fong uh, Fong is going to track right through from the south, right through the north of Japan. And just last week, uh, Japan, just a few days ago, Japan had a six point four earthquake. Uh, I mean, smacking the volcano on <clears throat> Exactly, yeah, the volcano. They had volcano earthquake. Found another massive. 
typhoon, hurricane, whatever, last week. Yeah. Also, it's just uh, the obviously it's flooding everywhere, but they have so much rain and it just keeps coming with each new mm. storm. This one they're calling a super typhoon because uh, it reached category five at mm. least out to sea. I think it's weakening now. Yeah, but it's still extremely. But the destructive. pictures of it from space are just like whoa. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, coastal regions or those those coastal regions of Japan uh, that were devastated. After uh, the tsunami in 2011, I've uh, just been, you know, probably just recently rebuilt, or at the very least going to be, uh, in certain areas, going to be inundated with uh, tidal swells uh, from Vong Fong. So um, there's just no let up, you know. It's not getting any better, people. Uh, it's getting worse. And it hasn't got as bad as it's going to get yet. So that's something to look forward to. Ebola, more wars, earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding, flooding, torrential rain, and hail, a lot of hail. Three feet of hail fell in Spain. No, Italy. Uh, It fell fell in the region, but it centered on a town called Brindisio, Mm. which used to be Brindisium. In Roman times, uh, fans of Roman history will, I think, remember the importance of that town. It was basically one of their major ports for sending their war armies out mm-hmm. east. Uh, the images are just like, what? It's October and it should, I mean, it's basically still warm mm-hmm. inside of Italy. Mm-hmm. And there's hail up and above, like the bonnets of cars on the street. No, it's cars are buried. Very hail, yeah. Yeah, very we'll extreme weather too. I mean, in places where it's like one day they declare national catastrophe for drought, the next day you have a massive flood and the water doesn't seep through because the the ground is dry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what have we got from the uh, the weird desk this week, Harrison? Well, the weird desk. <clears throat> um, angry animals. Angry animals. Angry animals. Now, for the now, a few weeks ago, when animals get angry, yeah, when anim- animals get super angry. Okay. A few weeks ago, I mentioned a couple of these, um, but you know, it hasn't really let up in the last few weeks. Uh, last week, I talked about some UFOs. Now, interestingly, in the, just in the last week, um, there have been even more um, video, even more video footage of UFOs caught by um, news cameras. So you know, people just reporters just stationed. And um, you can find some of those articles and videos uh, on SOT. But for the angry animals, now this is really interesting. In the last few weeks, there have been several reports of animals just basically going crazy and just going on a rampage. And the people that are victims of these attacks describe them as if this, like this animal was just manic. He was crazy. It was as if these these animals just had this psychotic break. Um I'll list a few of them. Uh, well, just in general, there have been more elephant attacks. There, there, uh, a man got killed in Nepal. A woman got killed in Kenya. Um, there was the fifth bear fatality in North America in New Jersey. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the average is usually two bear fatalities a year in North America. Now, this was the fifth, and four alone were in September. Mm. Now, so September was mad bear month. It was mad in bear America. Month. Yeah. 
and on that on that same day as the fifth fair as the fifth bear fatality a group of chimpanzees kidnapped and killed a two-year-old boy in uganda and this has happened three times in the last year where chimpanzees will just come up to a family or a kid grab the kid take him away and just kill him oh and where was that uganda this was in uganda yeah in in Zimbabwe, a woman was sitting at a bench praying when she was attacked by a baboon. Also in Zimbabwe, uh, five people were attacked by, this is one of the angry animals, by a, quote, frenzied hyena. Now, this hyena went from house to house attacking people. So it just came out of nowhere, started attacking people, you know, left, decided to go to another house, wow. uh, attacked five people. It's um, unusual behavior for a hyena. In India, the same thing, but this time with a wolf, um, attacked five people and then went off and attacked a group of six other people, the same wolf. Hmm. Boar attacks in, uh, uh, in Japan, a quote, manic wild boar just attacked a cameraman. So this was a news guy just filming and this boar just came out of nowhere and attacked him. Um, another boar attack in India and another in Malaysia on an 81 year old woman. Hmm. Um, another, angry animal, uh, a manic fox, um, went on this rampage at a school in Connecticut. Um, he attacked multiple people, uh, kids and teachers. And then si similar to the, um, to the hyena, he roamed around the neighborhood and attacked another group of people. Hmm. So this same little fox, um, a jackal attacked two children outside their home in Goa, India. Um, in California, a woman was sitting on a bench Kind of like the the boar uh, or the the baboon that attacked the woman praying on a bench in Zimbabwe, and a bobcat attacked this woman in California. Now in California, bobcat attacks bobcat attacks are very rare, and so this guy just came out of nowhere and attacked this woman on a bench. Um, in in California or in Florida, there was the first panther attack on record since the 1800s. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, and two bear attacks. Oh God! And then this was another interesting one. Um, in in Arizona, um, a gardener, well, two gardeners actually were doing work on this farm, and they got uh, one of them was killed. One was severely injured by a swarm of eight hundred thousand bees. They started up the lawnmower, and this this enormous swarm of bees came out from behind the house and just attacked these two guys. Well. Uh, so, of course, both of them were st stung hundreds of times. One of them didn't make it. And then another thing that's been going on, it seems all over the world, there have been uh, reports of pet dogs attacking their owners. Now, I'd mentioned one a few weeks ago of the, the hunting dog who attacked his, uh, uh, the hunter. And the hunter had to, had to shoot the dog because he was attacking him. Um, but this has been happening with household pets. And, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, what are the actual statistics? You know, how many people actually get attacked by their dogs? It's probably kind of common. But if you look at um, just one area, there's this uh, this place called the, the Yarra Ranges in Australia, I believe, somewhere in there. The mayor, Fiona McAllister, had, uh, has said this, uh, quote, so early this year, she said, the council was at a loss to explain why so many dog attacks had occurred within the first few months of the year, with 51 attacks by the end of February. But numbers have continued to climb with 179 dog attacks recorded by September. 
So these numbers for just this one tiny region mm-hmm. are just skyrocketing. And from the amount of reports that we see just from all over the world, it's happening all over the place. And so and that's what, just... <laughs> what about the bear attack in Siberia? <clears throat> what about that one? The, the one where the bear oh, yeah. gets revenge. Uh, that was cool. Yeah. So there was this hunter. And uh, he got uh, rushed or attacked by this bear. And he shot the bear in his thigh. And the bear ran away. Kind of. So the hunter's like, okay, yeah. Nothing to worry about. He comes back to his car and finds the car just demolished. You look at the picture of this car, the windshield is gone, the hood is caved in, the the trunk or the uh, the front of the car, but the engine is just dented in place. Like this this bear had just totally came, came back when yeah, he wasn't there. When he wasn't there. <clears throat> and took revenge on his car. Took revenge I mean, on that's his car. Pretty smart bear right there. You and know? have have any of these animals been brought to justice? Uh not that I've not that I've read. Well as an example as someone just said on the on the in the chat room, someone just said that it, from a symbolic point of view, it's predators attacking humans. Of course, you know, the sim- symbolism of that is uh, psychopaths being interspecies predators mm-hmm. uh, attacking humans and it reaching a fever pitch and it being mirrored in a symbolic way. Amongst, well, in hold the on, you, you call them the predators and the humans, but surely we're higher up in the predator chain than they are. So it's actually our prey attacking. Pre- the, our, it's the sim- yeah. symbolism? For psychopaths as predators, as interspecies predators attacking humans. Mm-hmm. So then you have predators, predators in the wild, in the wild okay. attacking humans. Well, just one more thing: if we were all Romans, we'd find this particularly interesting, because in in Roman societies they paid attention to all the weird stuff a lot more than we do, mm-hmm. and they put, uh, ascribed a certain importance to it. Um, in China, uh, a few weeks ago, a six-legged calf was born in Shandong. Now, that was that would have been seen as an omen, but uh, I just thought it was an interesting, <laughs> interesting tidbit. You can see the picture of it. Uh, you go to saw it. You can see. You can find all these articles. You can a six-legged yeah. calf. Yeah. Look, it wasn't born somewhere in Israel that have sacrificed it and declared. And speaking <sighs> of symbology, too, there there's um there's records supposedly for the black saying that it started or it's supposed to have started in. Crimea, Iraq, and Syria after coming from Africa. You know, and it's kind of interesting that these mm-hmm. places are so embroiled in important yes. nowadays. After coming from Africa? First from Africa, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. There's so a, the plague, in quotes, broke out in Africa Nigeria, first. Nigeria, yeah. And then they said that the <laughs> very first records before it reached Europe um, were in Crimea, Iraq, Syria, all that region. And they they don't know if it was related, but it was right before the peak where it came from to Italy and it spread all around Europe, England, etc. Uh, is that kind of is that a pattern that the origins are actually Central Equatorial Africa? I don't know. Because that'd be so interesting. Because I, I was thinking of well, could Ebola be a plague? Well, it's breaking out in a place where they generally get the first hits. It's the, the warmest the right conditions environmentally. Mm-hmm. And the plague I've only ever associated with Europe. But if its origins are the same, well... Yeah, we could be seeing a rerun sometime soon. Dun, dun. At a supermarket near you. Dun, 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 dun. Stay out of crowded places. Get in your bunker. 
<laughs> stay at home. No, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> no, we're not saying that. No. Well, kind of. Well, <laughs> well, as much as possible. Don't mix with those people out there. They're yeah. weird and dangerous. Never mind that you'll catch a disease, like a physical disease from them. You'll catch the mind virus from them. Exactly. They're walking zombies. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to leave it there for this week. Um, thanks to Kent, our caller, for this week, and to our chatters. And thank you to Harrison for being our host this week. It was a wonderful introduction. And to Chu for being here and livening up the conversation. And to McCain, you're not going to think And McCain? to John McCain. Uh, <laughs> for, for John McCain, <laughs> for his cameo role. Uh, oops, no, we're not going to go to him again. Uh, John McCain gets a round of applause. Good job, John. Keep up the full pause. You know, John should just keep on telling us the truth, you know, even though he doesn't mean to. Idiot in chief. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah, we will be back next week with another show. Until then, have a good one, everybody, and stay safe and be cool. Bye-bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.